You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bot and Megan Gesner. Hey, Poison Pals, we are back with another rewind. And this has been, this episode in particular is one of my personal favorites because, I mean, wow, like what is there even to say? This is the story that really shook me to my core when I first read it and learned about it. Alexei Navalny as a person is already mind-blowing, but then his story is so much like a Hollywood spy movie Mm -hmm. that it feels made up. But it's actually... 100% real. And that's what makes it even more bonkers. So a fantastic documentary just came out earlier this year on HBO Max called Navalny. Mm -hmm. Enough said. (laughs) So good and so powerful. It provides a great visual context to the auditory version of the story that you're going to hear in a few Mm -hmm. moments. But if you don't have HBO Max, I get it, I get it. Or you're not sure if you want to watch it, you're in luck because Megan and I are starting a new series where we're doing reaction videos to TV shows, movies, documentaries, etc. of stories that we've done on the pod. Mm -hmm. So Navalny will be up early this fall, the video of us reacting to it. So if you want to get the latest updates on when that releases, you can sign up for our newsletter on our website, www.thedeadlydose.com. Okay. Again, this is a rewind episode, but we've been doing a lot of updates on the story. It's an ongoing case that we've been talking about. So I'm going to do another update from August, actually. This is August 2022. So this is an article from New Statesman by Ido or Ido Vok. Mm -hmm. And he sits down with Leonid Volkov, who is one of the men in Navalny's inner circle, also featured on Navalny, the HBO series Mm -hmm. documentary. Okay, so this is coming off the info we had in June when we originally filmed the reaction video. The last thing that we knew was that Navalny was randomly moved from his current prison to a different undisclosed prison. It's now confirmed by Leonid that he is at a higher security prison or jail known for prisoner Mm. abuse. And Leonid, Leonid says, quote, his condition is not good. He's in the custody of the very people who tried to kill him two years ago. And he says he's worried his friend is going to die in prison or could die in prison. He is This is what I thought was interesting. He is steadfast in his belief that Navalny won't be let out of prison while Putin is in the Kremlin. Mm. But he feels Putin will be ousted out of power sooner than we expect. The war with Ukraine has weakened the Kremlin, according to Leonid. Before the war, the expectation was that there would be a slow and painful end to the Kremlin, lasting around 20 years. But now the consensus is that Putin will be ousted likely before the war even Mm -hmm. ends. So that is the latest and greatest on Navalny and where he's at currently. I mean, I don't know. I, I just I think it would be so horrifying if he ended up dying in prison. Mm-hmm. It's just, I just feel like the whole arc and trajectory of his story, he's just so close to just achieving what he wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that his work would die with mm-hmm. him, but he is such a huge part of it. He is such a huge catalyst, of course, to everything that he does. And in many ways, he's kind of a one-man show. I know that's not correct at all, but he is such like a huge face of the whole movement, right? right? So I, I think it would be tough if he did end up dying so hopefully that doesn't happen but that's the latest from Navalny there's a lot of uncertainty around this so we'll as always we're gonna keep a close eye on whatever is going on with Mm -hmm. him and keep updating you guys but but if this is all new for you you're in luck because you're about to hear the whole the whole Mm -hmm. thing (laughs) so stay tuned and we hope you enjoyed the episode Before we get into the rest of the episode, if you've been enjoying our content so far, please go rate and review us wherever you might be listening from, or don't. Just keep on hanging with us. All right, on to the rest of the episode. All right, guys. There was going to be a different episode that you would be listening to in your ear holes right now, but we have a breaking news episode. Mm. If breaking news meant telling the news one month later, then that would be it, (laughs) because that's what I'm doing today. (laughs) 
I have to give a shout out to my lovely father, Papa Bot. Papa Bot. Papa Bot. <laughs> he actually loves that you guys call him that. He's like so, I'm going to use a very British phrase, so chuffed. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's so chuffed that you guys call him that. He loves that. Anyways, I don't think I talked about this before, but my dad, he has a PhD in organic chemistry. I know, guys, organic chemistry is so boring. <laughs> I honestly think that's where I kind of got my interest in all that kind of stuff that we talk about today because he got me into Agatha Christie and Poirot and all that kind of stuff. I kind of skirted around the fact that I'm even doing a podcast, but then last week I actually talked to my dad about it. I'm like, hey, like we're doing this podcast and it's about toxicology and true crime. And then I started talking to him about it and he loved it. Like he, I couldn't get him to stop talking about cyanide. (laughs) And after that fact, he texted me this picture of a article in a magazine and it was about the story that I'm going to be talking about today. So I owe it all to my Papa Bot. Papa B. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Megan. I I have no idea what you're going to talk about today, but (laughs) I should pay attention to the news if this is really breaking news. I mean, I had no idea about it, and my dad had to tell me, so. Okay. Harini, (laughs) it is now time for you to pick your poison. Mm -mm. All right, let's do this. Like I said, this story is hot off the press, so we are doing a special breaking news episode. And this is interesting because Megan usually does the recent episodes Mm. and I go all the way back, but now I'm doing her thing today. We're going to go all the way to the year 2020. Wow. I'm going to get into the rest of the story, but I want to start with a quote as a hook. So here we go. Vlodlin Loss sat in a chair outside room 239 of the Xander Hotel. It was mid-morning on August 20th, 2020 in the Siberian city of Tomsk. The lawyer Loss was determined that no one get inside the room that his colleague, Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, had just left hours before. All right. I'm excited to hear this. I I now have an idea about the situation. (laughs) I mean, once Russia is involved, it kind of speaks for itself. So there's a lot of background info on this one. So let me first introduce you to our main guy, Alexei Navalny. So Navalny was born on June 4th, 1976 in Butin. Mm-hmm. He is of Ukrainian and Russian descent. And for our Russian listeners, his father is from Zalicia, a village near Belarus. But Navalny actually grew up in Obninsk. I had to look up that YouTube pronunciation thing again <laughs> for these. That's okay. There's a lot of Russian names and Russian cities in here, so I apologize in advance, guys. Doing my best. And that was about 100 kilometers or about 62 miles southwest of Moscow, Russia. Navalny graduated from law school at the People's Friendship University of Russia in 1998, and then he got a scholarship from the Yale World Fellows Program from Yale University in 2010. So Navalny is a pretty interesting character. I don't know if a lot of people in the United States know about him, but he is a very prominent public figure in Russia. And I would imagine like just like in those Eastern countries. And the reason being is that his whole life purpose has been dedicated to making sure the Russian government at both a state and local level uphold their promises to the Russian people. Mm. So there is a laundry list of things that Navalny has done to expose and take down corruption at all levels of the Russian government. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some of those instances, and then we'll get into like the actual poisoning. So he was a leader against rigged elections in Russia in 2011 and 2012. And just to give you a sense of the company that he shares with is the people he works alongside are either in exile, such as the chess champion Gary Kasparov, or dead like Boris Nemtsov. Mm-hmm. His activism really started in about 2006 with his blog on LiveJournal, which <laughs> major throwback. Yeah. I never used LiveJournal. I don't know if you had, no, Megan. I never did. I kind of feel like we were too young maybe to use it. Yeah. We were the MySpace generation. MySpace, we were capable of doing because it's like, which widgets do you want to put on your page to make you look fancy? And Who's just... going to be your top eight? Right. Like our attention's too short for, for that stuff. True. So. 
Yeah. And, and we weren't writing whole blogs right. in like we sixth grade. We weren't exposing <laughs> corruption. Yeah, exactly. We weren't exposing corruption. So the reason why he started a blog was because the normal routes of reporting in other parts of the world, such as news and media outlets, were heavily, heavily restricted by the Russian government. The only way that he could even talk about these misgivings and the corruption that was going on in his home country was through this personal blog of his because he did not have the capabilities or the allowances to do it through news channels and things like that. But his blog essentially became his own news media outlet. And soon his blog became very popular and was followed by international journalists all over the world to get the inside political scoop on Russian events. So two years after the launch of his blog in 2008, Navalny invested 300,000 rubles of his own money in the stocks of five oil companies, one of them by the name of Transneft. So this allowed him to become a minority shareholder and request confidential information on the goings-ons of each of these companies. And there's a term for this, which I was not familiar with, but they call that an activist shareholder. Mm-hmm. So you're basically buying out a share so you can get in on what they're going on and you have access to information you believe wouldn't have otherwise. And then you take them down from the inside. Mm-hmm. So typically by Russian law, companies like these oil guys are required to make their finances transparent, but there were allegations at the time that high-level managers were involved in thefts and corruption at all levels, and thus were obstructing that transparency. Navalny uncovered a lot of corporate theft where these companies were robbing minority shareholders of their money, and these companies knew that a single person wasn't going to sue for, what, like $20,000 mm-hmm. because litigation costs themselves would be way more than that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how they kept everyone at bay. But remember, again, Navalny is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So he sued with the goal of representing all the minority shareholders pro bono. And he shared all of this publicly on his blog all along the way. This eventually led to the Moscow Chief Administration of Internal Affairs to start a criminal case and formal charges against some of these high-profile executives of two of the oil companies. But ultimately, these charges were dropped due to, quote, lack of evidence. And this essentially just keeps happening. Mm -hmm. So he'll keep exposing these different... It wasn't just the oil companies. He would expose politicians. He would Mm -hmm. expose even whole countries, business deals that were happening between different countries. And things would just get... Charges would just keep getting dropped or there wasn't enough evidence and so on and so forth. So... Clearly, someone really high up was stopping all of this from shedding light on these yeah. topics, right? Or mul- multiple entities. Yes, or multiple whole entities, correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And Navalny didn't really stop there. He probably is most known for exposing the oil company, like I said earlier, Transneft, with his top blog post to this day titled How Transneft Robs the Coffers. It was a huge scale of embezzlement that was shocking. About $4 billion were stolen from the people. And he got this info. He leaks the reports on the internal audit that was done by the Russian Accounts Chamber. It received major attention. Even federal media outlets published about this happening in actual news articles in Russia. And Prime Minister Vladimir Putin was even forced to make a public comment Mm -hmm. saying an official case is being conducted. However, no such case was ever initiated, of course. And not much came out of this entire fiasco, except the Moscow court required Transneft to send the board meeting minutes to all the shareholders. Which is not much in our eyes, but to Navalny and considering the climate that they are in in Russia, he considered that a very big victory. Yeah. Okay. So I'll just say what it's on my mind. Yeah. Okay. So everything you are saying and how each event is essentially just dismissed. Right. Correct. Like it's ultimately dismissed despite this huge exposure. Mm -hmm. Well, one is like, this does not surprise me. I want to be as like diplomatic as possible right right and because really i'm not educated on you know russian diplomacy and yeah. their culture and Same. their government i mean a lot of what i know about it is probably skewed by the american western idealization yeah. okay so 100%. i'll put that out there i'm trying to be fair but as you say this story which ultimately is just you're just stating facts this is how it happened and this is this person who's exposing corruption Mm-hmm. And clearly there's political ties or there's people in power who are helping these oil folks get away with these things. I'm just like, why even, why even go through, I'm not talking about Navalny. Why does the Russian government even put on this display of like, we're going to do a trial? Right. Like, what is even the point? 
making a statement. Like Vladimir Putin's going out and he's like, he even had to make a statement, but I'm like, why bother if you know you're just going to subdue it? Right. (laughs) Every single time that it's happened, it's just been subdued. And I honestly am like, I can imagine that even the people, like your citizens of Russia probably are like, why are you making a statement? When it- right. It's all empty words. Yeah. I'm just like, the, there's no need for the pomp and circumstance. Ultimately, mm-hmm. I just, it's just weird to me. Like, yeah. I know what you mean. Cause like, I, I don't want to say more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I know what you mean. And I'm sure it's infuriating and I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer yeah, for that. I'm just like, if you're just going to rule the way that you rule, ultimately, mm-hmm. I don't get why there's, like, a theatrics yeah. involved. I agree. I Agreed. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure Navalny has asked himself the same question many a time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but... But yeah, so like I said, his one-man blog blew up into a full-on multimedia production company called the Anti-Corruption Foundation, and it is now with a full team of investigators and lawyers that are essentially around the clock looking into everybody at all stages and all levels of governments, and no one is safe, you know? They're going after everybody. And he started to produce films that were exposing these guys on YouTube, and then Russian authorities consistently have had to take these films down from YouTube. But these videos are already viewed more than 36 million Mm. times by the time that they take it down because he is very popular. He is the voice of the people and Mm. their reason. And as you can imagine, Navalny was a huge thorn in the side of Vladimir Putin. Mm. The Kremlin has tried to shut down Navalny many, many times and his organization. And he was was eventually put in prison in Mm. 2013. But thousands of people protested and he was released. Mm. But he didn't really stop there, of course. He, he This guy is so unfazed. He's one of those people that is like, he knows his sole purpose is to do this in life and no one is going to stop him. Yeah. He is on that one track. It's, it's very admirable. He even tried to run for president. Like he's doing whatever he can possible. Okay, now let's jump forward to the day of the actual poisoning. So now that you kind of understand like who he is mm-hmm. and where he you know sits within Russian politics, so to speak. In the beginning, this all went down on August 20th of this year, Mm -hmm. soon after takeoff of his flight from a Siberian city in Tomsk back to Moscow, where he lives. Navalny became disoriented. He's sweating profusely. He goes to the bathroom to wipe his face. And by the time he comes out, he tells the flight attendant, I'm dying. I've been poisoned. Mm. All right. I'm going to flip the script a little bit because... Usually I'll go into the poisoning and talk about it, but I'm going to talk about the toxicology first this time because I want you guys, for everyone listening, to understand what this poison is because the reason why this is so breaking news is twofold. One, this guy has just woken up from a coma recently in beginning of October. And the reason why there's so much traffic about what's going on is because he's given interviews about him being poisoned Mm -hmm. and how they came to know he was even poisoned at all and who they think it is. Okay. So I want to give that backstory because he's literally giving out interviews of how he felt being poisoned. So let's go into it. So what is this poison? So this poison is called Novichok A234, where Novichok means newcomer in Russian, I believe. And it is a Russian-made nerve agent that came out of the Soviet era. As far as nerve agents go... Novichok is 5 to 10 more potent than VX. I know this is coming out early, but there's going to be an episode later that Megan talks about regarding VX, which is very fucking good. Another nerve agent. Correct. And that is pretty deadly. So this is five to ten times more potent than VX. Wow. Yeah. What are nerve agents? So nerve agents are part of a class of toxins called organophosphates. And they target and bind to acetylcholinesterase, which is an enzyme that breaks down the neurotransmitter acetylcholine after it's released into the synapses. So just a brief overview of what acetylcholine is. So it is the main neurotransmitter of your parasympathetic nervous system. Let's think about sympathetic first. So your sympathetic nervous system is what colloquially people understand as your fight or flight response. So your pupils will constrict, your heart rate goes up, you're breathing more, you're really just on alert and you're ready to survive, Mm -hmm. essentially. The opposite of that is what we call rest and digest. You're just like, real relaxed, you're in Winnie the Pooh mode, you know? Yeah. Ready to have some honey and just chill on the couch (laughs) with some Netflix. With no pants on. With no pants on. (laughs) With no pants on. (laughs) Exactly. It contracts your smooth muscles, it dilates your blood vessels, increases bodily secretion, and slows down your heart rate. But what does that even mean to us? 
Well, acetylcholine in your stomach or your gut region will basically move your intestines and your the muscles in your stomach to break down and digest your food. In your bladder, it helps us contract our bladder muscles so that you can actually like void or pee. In general, it causes secretions of all our glands, but it also plays an important role in memory and learning. And we found that out because acetylcholine is in abnormally short supply in the brains of people with Alzheimer's. Mm. So there are a lot of drugs out there, Alzheimer's drugs, that will target acetylcholine. So now that we understand that physiology and its role in our body, let's talk about what makes that shit poison, what we're all here for. So being poisoned with Novichok is fatal unless you catch it and manage it right away. So for those who are curious, the LD50 of Novichok is 0.22 micrograms per keg. And for comparison, cyanide's LD50 is 100 milligrams per keg. If you do some conversions, which we know we're both (laughs) not great at, but, you know, we try. Here's here's how I do it. Micrograms, milligrams. One sounds smaller. (laughs) Exactly. One is smaller than the other. No. So if you do the conversions, that is 100,000 micrograms per keg of cyanide that you would need to kill off half the population to just 0.22 micrograms per keg to kill off half the population. That's crazy. So that is insanely deadly, and we already know that cyanide is super deadly. So just to put that into perspective a little bit. And the reason it is deadly is because Novichok causes a death grip on your acetylcholinesterase. It not only binds and blocks to that, but it binds to two different things. So I think, and this is what I talk about a little bit later, there are other nerve agents, and they essentially all work the same But this one is different. Somehow these Russian scientists in their labs did something and created a new nerve agent that we haven't seen before. And this is it. So it's kind of like blowing people's minds right now. I'm just anxious listening to all this. (laughs) As referenced later on, there will be an episode about another nerve agent. Yeah. It's like where I learned about nerve agents Mm -hmm. in general. And like to know that there's this even more deadly, I'm just like... What? Like, I know. Like, what? Like, what goes through people's minds to be like, we need something Dude. more? <laughs> this is like Dexter's laboratory, laboratory, I should I say. Know. What are people thinking? Anyways, so it causes acetylcholinesterase to become inactive, which leads to prolonged neurotoxicity and ultimately respiratory paralysis. A Russian military researcher who was accidentally exposed to Novichok when they were like creating this shit through a fume hood, he states, quote, circles appeared before my eyes, red and orange, a ringing in my ears. I caught my breath and a sense of fear, like something was about to happen. I sat down on a chair and told the guys, it's got me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this shit is so scary. I have to, like, I'm, like, when Harini tells me that, like, that she's telling the story, I'm watching her face, she's doing the hand motions, like, I, like, visualize it. Yeah. You know, like, what else are you saying? Right, right. Just, like, not visualize yeah. it. But I guess the question that comes to my mind is, is there some sort of, like, hallucinogenic aspect to this, this toxicology? It's not like hallucinogenic in the way that you might be thinking, yeah. but like you lose a lot of focus. Like you get very disoriented. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm like seeing them, seeing circles. Yeah. And maybe that's just like a symptom of, it affects your parasympathetic system. Is that mm-hmm. what that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just- You're like trying to piece it together. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to piece it all together. Just think about like what causes a reaction where, yeah, what part of your mind- your, Yeah. In your brain. Is, yeah. Is affected to where like you, you get this sense of fear, this- Okay, keep going. Sorry, yeah. I'm just I'm digesting it all. So that's kind of like a, a small glimpse of what that would feel like. And early onset of symptoms are typically sudden nausea, sweating, seizures, which will rapidly progress to respiratory paralysis, slowing of your heart rate. And then if you're not treated medically, you can slip into a coma and then eventually death if untreated. As I said earlier, Novichok targets another active site in addition to acetylcholinesterase. It binds to your peripheral sensory nerves which results in severe peripheral neuropathy. So for people that don't know what peripheral neuropathy is, just think of like when your foot falls asleep and you get like pins and needles, but all the freaking time. They just have permanent peripheral neuropathy where their whole like right side, their whole left side is just pins and needles all the time. Very, very painful. And a lot of that is due to the chemical structure of Novichoks, which is very different from the other nerve agents, which is why the typical antidote for nerve agents, which are oxymes, it doesn't work for Novichok which is why this was such a big deal. It's like, this is scary. How do we treat something like this, right? What is also different about Nabachuk is that it can also be made and be active as a powder form, 
So typically nerve agents are liquid. So this is a different formulation altogether. And a powder, if you think about it, it makes it a lot easier to hide and travel with Mm -hmm. and also slip into an unsuspecting person's food or drink, right? Also easier to be sold on the black market. Mm. And just from like a public health perspective, that's what people are thinking about when they were reading about this, when they were hearing about this in the news. And the thing with the Novichok compounds, and you were kind of touching on this earlier, Megan, they're much more stable than other nerve agents and more durable. And the reason for that is they're more lipophilic, meaning they like to hang around in your fat tissues. And if they're lipophilic, it passes your blood brain barrier and goes straight to your brain, mm-hmm. right? And that's what causes these like CNS issues that you're, you're getting. You're really disoriented. You have altered mental status. You're really confused. You can't focus as well. It's not really hallucinogenic, but it really like fucks with your brain. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask, like, probably what would be considered a dumb question. No, yes. No dumb questions here. Okay. So you're talking about lipophilic. Yeah. Which I do know what that means. And I understand the idea is, like, okay, if you're an average being, you're not someone who's totally fit or whatever, but the reason why this particular nerve agent is deadly is because despite the fat protection you have, it can Mm -hmm. still linger there and Mm -hmm. get through it and Mm -hmm. get to the blood-brain barrier easily. So the question becomes, if you're someone who is, like, super, super fit, Okay. Does that mean it just goes like straight to your brain? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I like, like, saying. like, imagine your fat percentage is like five. So <laughs> I could be wrong on this, but so these are fast acting agents. Yeah. It shouldn't really matter if you're really fit or, you know, really big. Yeah. It's going to have the same effects really, really quickly. When I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, friends and listeners, But what I'm thinking of this is how it gets cleared from your body. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have that much body fat, it's not going to hang around in your tissues that long because there's not a lot of fat to hang out in, if that makes sense. And this all goes back to like volume of distribution, which is just how long does it take to distribute through the whole body and then clear out. If you have more fat content, it's going to hang out around in your fat a lot longer. So it's going to take longer for it to be cleared. Mm. And that's not a good thing either. Yeah. You're going to still feel the effects a lot longer. Yeah. Because it's still working. It's still right. active, right? Just because it's in your fat doesn't mean it's inactive at all. The best thing you can do is try to flush it out somehow or have an antidote at hand. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. No, that does answer my question. And I have, have another like, one. <laughs> lots of different thoughts that actually tie into future episodes. Okay. Yeah. But it's, I love that I am like learning more about topics that we will cover later. Yeah. Even though this is not even directly related, yeah. but it's all like all the toxicology and how it affects the human body ultimately intersects. And yeah. 100%. So. Very anyway. cool stuff. Very cool. Thanks for answering my question. Yeah. yeah. Keep it in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't that so lipophilicity of the drug makes it more stable. And when I say stable, like I had said earlier, it just stays in your body for mm-hmm. longer and it stays active for longer. And it's a thousand fold more stable than the nerve agent serine. Is it serine or serine? I do not know. Shit. That's okay. <laughs> uh, Someone I don't have YouTube <laughs> pronunciation handy, but yeah. I'm just going to go with serine, which is another like very famous nerve agent that I actually think was used to kill another Russian person. Oh. I could be wrong. So now, how the hell do you go about treating something like this? Because that's all we really care about, too. If we're going to get poisoned by something, we sure as hell want to make sure we get out of that, right? So treating something like this has multiple steps to it. First, you want to get rid of, and this is the first part I'm going to talk about right now, goes for anything. For example, if you drink Drano, if you drink Windex, if you drink DEET, if you spray some DEET all up in your mouth all day, like this is what you want to do first and foremost. You want to get rid of any exposure. So that means removing any kind of clothing, anything that could have trapped the vapors or, you know, soaked up anything on your body. You want to throw that shit away or like take it off you at least and then just rinse yourself in water. In this particular situation, you want to wash your clothes in a high pH solution. And that's because a high pH solution will actually speed up the hydrolysis, which is essentially just means it will speed up the breakdown Mm -hmm. of the chemical. And so since this attacking and binding to acetylcholinesterase, you can also administer atropine, which binds and inhibits acetylcholine receptor and prevents acetylcholine from binding. Mm. That is a lot of words. So what does that really mean? The reason this is helpful is because Novichok, remember, is preventing the breakdown of acetylcholinesterase, Mm -hmm. which is the enzyme that breaks down acetylcholine. So if there is no breakdown of acetylcholine, then acetylcholine is free to roam around and essentially has no regulation on it. 
and it's able to bind to the acetylcholine receptor. So there's unlimited activation of our parasympathetic responses. So what are those? Just to recap, slow down heart rate, low blood pressure, less oxygen intake, we're resting, we're digesting, and it also increases your smooth muscle contraction, which is in our airways. So all of this leads to the side effects we talked about. Your smooth muscle in your airways is contracting so much that it goes rigid and paralyzes. And that is what causes you to stop breathing and go into a coma and eventually death. So when you block acetylcholine from binding to that receptor, it stops that upregulation, it stops that acetylcholine activation, and you get the opposite effect, which is sort of your fight or flight response. You're jacking back up your heart rate, you're getting your blood pressure back up, your smooth muscles will relax, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what you want to do. In addition to atropine, you can give one to two grams of something called pralidoxime or 2-PAM. So this compound is an oxime and it works by pulling off the offending toxin, which in this case is the Novichok. It pulls it off the acetylcholine esterase so that acetylcholine is free to work again and it breaks down acetylcholine as it normally does. However, as I mentioned earlier, Novichok is not your typical nerve agent as it does bind to another receptor. So a new antidote is in the works called, this is a long one, (laughs) it's called butyryl cholinesterase, BCHE. So BCHE is an enzyme that will scavenge for Novichok in the blood, latch onto it, and then digest it. Mm. So this work is actually being done by a chemist at UC San Diego. What? Right? How freaking weird, right? What are the odds? Oh my gosh. Sometimes I forget how... (laughs) (laughs) I'm just tooting tooting the horn. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes do take for granted the work that is done at UC San Diego. I mean, admittedly, for background on Megan, I really wasn't in, like, the labs, to put it simply. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't in organic chemistry. I never took those classes or anything like that. So I wasn't very much exposed to that side of research. Yeah, I kind of forget that there's some cool-ass shit at UCSD. I was really shocked because, I mean, I wasn't like searching San Diego or anything like that. I was just trying to look up articles on this and a bunch of the work. And there's multiple people. It's not the only person. Multiple sources on this article were coming straight out of UC San Diego labs. Yeah. Really cool. And the person that was the chemist that's doing this work, their name is Zoran Radic. Mm -hmm. And it would be used as a prophylactic exposure to the nerve agent in the future. So this will come into play a little bit later when I talk about the actual story part. But when you're thinking of people who get intentionally poisoned by others, this is a crime. This is Mm -hmm. absolute crime. But the thing is, how do you prove, first of all, that you were poisoned? And secondly, with what? Mm -hmm. You have to test for it somehow. And you can prove it, hopefully, with a lab test. That will test for a particular substance in your blood. Thinking about Novichok, there's two ways you can test. You can test your red blood cells. And your red blood cells have the enzyme acetylcholine esterase bound to their membranes. So if you are poisoned with Novichok, then a blood sample should show that your red blood cells have the acetylcholine esterase latched on to Novichok. And that can be detected via mass spectrometry, which is, I don't need to go into what that is. (laughs) It's all organic chemistry. We can have Papa Butt on the podcast and explain that shit. And this piece of info is actually given by a pharmacologist by the name of Palmer Taylor from UCSD. Wow. UCSD. Go go UCSD. As an aside, (laughs) I'm thinking we should really, maybe hopefully at one point in time, we can utilize our alumni connections and perhaps bring these chemists on board to this podcast. That would be super cool. It'd be cool to have one of these guys come on and like talk about their work. Absolutely. Um, That'd be super dope. So this is super useful. Mm -hmm. But let's say you get poisoned and you aren't able to test your blood right away because honestly, the symptoms could, you, I guess you could say there are many different causes for that. It could be passable as different disease states, especially if you have different, what if you have like a really high blood pressure or things like that, or you're taking certain drugs that act in a similar way if you were to overdose on them. Mm-hmm. Your first thought isn't going to be a nerve agent that has never been heard of before. You yeah. know what I mean? So let's say it's been a couple weeks before you realize, okay, I think they may have been poisoned. Let's test for toxins, right? If you test your blood for the red blood cells, like I was just saying, their turnover rate, the red blood cells turnover rate is so high, it's unlikely to show up in a blood test weeks after. It will already have been like flushed out of your blood that way. However, Novichok is highly protein bound, meaning once in the blood, it will bind to proteins, mainly a protein called albumin. And that can remain protein bound for weeks. 
So that is a very useful test in that regard. Okay, so that's all the toxicology. So let's get into the story. All right, now we understand what the sick fucking toxin is. Let's <laughs> hear it in Navalny's own words. So this is hot off the press. His own interview, his first interview since getting poisoned back in August of this okay. year. Okay. He says the moment he knew he was poisoned, he felt his life ending. He describes it as being touched by a dementor, like in Harry Potter. Wow. He's like, you can literally feel the life leaving your body. You lose focus really quickly, and it just keeps growing out of control. He says he touched his own hand with his finger, and his brain perceived the touch, but couldn't cancel it out. So it felt like he was touching his own hand a million times to the point where his whole body was going haywire, trying to close that loop that mm. won't close. And this is all, of course, due to the acetylcholine being upregulated. Yeah. Then he goes back to the losing focus part of things. Before he got up to go to the bathroom, like I had talked about in the beginning on the plane, he was watching Rick and Morty on his laptop. He was watching Rick and Morty on his laptop <laughs> next to his aide, Kira, who was like his assistant. Mm -hmm. He says he can see the screen and he's aware that Kira is sitting next to him, but he can't focus on either of them. He sees a cat enter the screen on the show, but he can't bring himself to understand the concept of what a cat is. Hmm. And he says, if someone in that moment asked me to point out the cat on the screen, I would have a very hard time. This is so fascinating. I'm like jogging my brain for, okay, I took cognitive science 101. Like, you know, I'm, like, I'm thinking about all these classes I took on your parts of the brain. Right. I know. What is it called? Um, I'm when so you cannot. Yeah. It's some sort of amnesia. It's some sort of like. No, amnesia. you're right. You're right. Right? Yeah. I know what you're talking yeah. about. And I, it's funny because this is a really quick side story. But when lockdown first happened back mm -hmm. in March, we were so freaking bored out of our minds. <laughs> and this is something Megan and I used to do back in the day. We would go to trivia nights mm -hmm. every week in San Diego. So my family really loves trivia. So we each person in the family created their own trivia. Then we'd all get together and do trivia. And one of the trivia questions, my sister-in-law, who is a doctor, one of her questions was that, exactly. Yeah. Describing what that phenomenon is, right. essentially, in the Where brain. Where you, you know, you're cognizant that you recognize an item or Correct. an object or a noun, but you literally cannot verbalize it Correct. or explain it. And it's, yeah, I'll have to look up that. If someone knows what it is, tweet us. Yeah, tweet us. <laughs> yeah, email us at thatshitispoison.gmail.com. We would love to hear your expertise because we definitely clearly don't know it. <laughs> yeah. and, and bringing it back to like the toxicology of yeah. Navashop and, you know, what's going on with the acetylcholine and that particular parts of your brain that's causing this amnesia. Yeah, super wild. At this point, Navalny gets up to go to the bathroom to collect himself. It was at this point he realizes that he was poisoned when he couldn't get up and leave the bathroom on his own. Again, the concept of doors and opening a door was not in his brain, even though he had all the strength to do so. It wasn't like he was weakened, right? It wasn't like he was so sick or something like that. His brain was literally just so fuzzy. He wasn't in any pain, but he said what he felt, what he was going through was far, far worse than being in pain. He somehow manages to get out of the bathroom and sees his seat. So you can just imagine him coming out of the bathroom. He's on the plane. He's looking down the aisle to his seat. He understands that he has to get there. And he thinks to himself, I think I can make it. I should also probably tell someone that I need help. He tells the flight attendant he's been poisoned and right there in the aisle, he collapses and goes into a coma. Navalny is hospitalized for a month wow. where he's just in and I would say like a good amount of that. He was just like straight in a coma. Yeah. But when he starts getting consciousness, he's just like in and out of consciousness. Okay. He's hallucinating heavily and has lost the ability to speak or write for the next 26 days. Right. Eventually, he starts to come out of it, but it was such a process. He had to relearn how to read, write, speak, and perform even simple tasks, simple physical tasks, like walking across his room and then pouring one cup of water into the other. Wow. It was difficult, super difficult for him. And during his coma, his wife, Yulia, allowed labs in Germany and Sweden to test for a poison. And that's when they discovered Navalny was poisoned with the Russian nerve agent Novichok. Simultaneously, the Russian government's hearing about all this, right? Yeah. Like they hear that he's hospitalized and all this, and they were right. so quick to discredit Navalny saying he was a CIA agent or working with right. the CIA. And because now I'm recalling that I, you know, had heard bits and pieces of this. Okay. Wasn't he actually flying? He was flying back to Moscow. Yes. Right? So, but when he's in mid-flight, that's when he figures out he's poisoned. Mm -hmm. They don't land in Moscow, right? They do not. Okay. They do not land in Moscow. Where did they go? 
they land somewhere nearby, like somewhere where they're already okay, where they it's most immediately convenient. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. And here's the thing. So this is why I said a little bit earlier when talking about who Navalny is. He has this big anti-corruption foundation mm-hmm. where he has a huge team of investigators and fellow lawyers that are working alongside of him. So he has his group of inner circle that he can really, really trust his confidants. Because of course, you can imagine this guy is an incredible danger every single day that he walks free. So he has like his group of people that he really, really trusts. So this amazing team of corruption investigators that he works with uncovered that the Novichok trail allegedly led back to Putin himself giving the order. So whoever was poisoning Navalny or decided to poison him was definitely banking on the fact that there are only 17 labs in the world that can detect Novichok in the body. Wow. In order to detect Novichok, you need a gigantic mass spectrometry machine. And those things are expensive. Again, reason why Mm. there's only 17 labs in the world that have that. Yeah. This sinister party waited 48 hours after the poisoning just to be sure that no one would be able to figure out the cause of Navalny's symptoms and were convinced it would be ruled as a suspicious death. Because again, this nerve agent does act fast, so they thought, you know, 48-hour window, probably safe enough. Right. The newspapers would read, quote, he didn't know his place, he exposed corrupt officials, he called Putin a thief, and what do you know, he's dead at 44. Could be his heart gave out, could be something else. Oh, wow. And is this, is this like news coming out of Russia specifically? Like, yeah. they talked about him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't take that as like a malevolent news title. No, I definitely. take that as a very like, this is what life is like. Exactly. And, and what did you expect, to guy? Say what me. Say what fucking me, man. Yeah. No, I, oh, 100%. <laughs> And this sinister party almost got away with it. The doctor was working on Navalny first ruled it as an overdose. Hmm. And that's what I was saying. His symptoms very much look like other things. Yeah. And that's the tricky part about the story. They first ruled it as an overdose. Then they thought it was pancreatitis. It was only after considering Navalny's line of work <laughs> that they decided to test for toxins. Yeah. But the thing is, if you inhale Novichok, you die almost instantaneously. If you ingest it with food or drink, you're dead within the hour. If you touch it, it takes about three hours. So despite all of that, he's still like kicking and screaming, you know, like he's still like hanging in there. Yes. So exactly. (laughs) So despite all of that, it is almost impossible to poison someone with Novichok without killing yourself or those around you as well which we know didn't happen. It was very, very targeted plan against only Navalny, which means the people behind this were very skilled and meticulously planned this attack. Yeah. God knows how. I can't wait to hear about that. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm assuming that we're going to detail the whole we thing. We are. We oh, are. I okay. love it. I'm so I'm so Yeah. So how, how in the world did Navalny's people find out it was Novichok in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Well, it all really started with Navalny's inner circle and fellow lawyers, one of them named Vladlin Loss, who I talked about in the beginning. So on the morning of August 20th, Navalny and four of his closest associates were in Tomsk for their anti-corruption work. And around 10 a.m., Navalny went to the airport to go back to Moscow, where he is from, while the rest of them stayed on in Tomsk for a few more days. Their first alert as to what happened was when they saw the flight that Navalny was on change course. Mm. That's when they immediately text his aide and they're like, hey, what the hell's going on? And she basically tells them, not good. He's gone down. He's very, very sick. To their great credit, almost immediately, I'm just going to refer to these guys as his inner circle from now onwards. So almost immediately, Navalny's inner circle knew he had been poisoned and that he didn't just, quote unquote, fall sick, right? Right. The rest of their actions happen very swiftly and with great presence of mind. Like, I want these people on my side. They just worked so quickly. The inner circle didn't know how he was poisoned, but only three hours had passed since Navalny left them to board the airplane. So they decided there might still be some clues as to what happened in Navalny's hotel room, which is room 239. Oh, snap. I know. This inner circle turned into investigators. Oh, for real. I'm so excited. Yes. They're so awesome. Fantastic four, guys. And <laughs> and they knew also they had to be the first ones inside. They couldn't let, you know, cleaners or yes. whoever. Maybe there even be like Russian agents yes. here to clean up the job, right? Yes. So they immediately went and guarded his room to make sure no one came in or out. 
So began a very high pressure series of events of Navalny's four closest associates becoming forensic investigators on the fly to help save their friend's life. Yeah. So they tried to gain access to his room 239 at the Xander Hotel, but the front desk refused and also refused them access to any CCTV footage. And sorry to interrupt. No, yeah, go for it. Where, Where is this hotel again? Where was he flying from? This is in a Siberian city called Tomsk. Okay. T-O-M-S-K. Okay. And remember, he leaves the hotel at 10 a.m. And he boards the flight. And pretty much, I would say, the way that the articles go, almost immediately after takeoff is when he starts to show symptoms. Mm, And so now it's 11.45 a.m. Yeah. At 11.45 a.m., the front desk lady finally grants them entry into room 239. So this is a very, very quick... Very quick. ...chain of events. Correct. Within an hour and 45 minutes, they're yes. already checking his room. Okay. Right. And, and the way that it seems like, I imagine, his inner circle is like probably constantly on the alert for him because mm-hmm. they know he is a big target. Yeah. And so it seemed like they were kind of refreshing their phone quite a bit just to make oh. sure that his flight was on the correct route. Yeah. They were like on it really quickly. Yeah. I don't know if you said this before, so I apologize. Yeah. What was the context of his trip? Was there something that he did Mm. recently, politically or whatever, that I guess ultimately caused this poisoning? Like, wasn't there... Did he do, like, a recent exposure or something? You know, that's a really good question. I don't have that information. All that I read was that he was just there for like a generic anti-corruption meeting Mm. or anti-corruption campaign for his foundation. I don't know if there was anything more, you know, exposing than that, that he was working on. It may have just been like a meeting. That's as far as I read. Okay. So they're granted entry into room 239. Once inside, the inner circle start bagging everything in sight from like shampoo bottles to plastic cups, all in the hopes that one of these items has traces of a possible toxin to figure out what the hell is going on with Navalny. Do you think that they're taking extra care to like wear gloves? Oh yeah, 100%. And I'm glad you you asked that because Mm -hmm. yes, they specify, Mm -hmm. they suit up, they wear gloves. They're very, very careful because their friend's life hangs in the balance for this. So they're trying to be very, very careful. Once they do this, they divide up the goods into each of their suitcases to hide. After this, the inner circle has to drive 165 miles and they arrive only at 5 p.m. Mind you, gain entry to the room, 11.45 a.m. Mm-hmm. They like bag stuff up, and then they have to drive to the nearest airport with the evidence. That's like a good four to five hours later just to catch a flight. And the drive had very little internet connection, so they're so worried, sick, mm-hmm. that their friend was already dead and that everything was for nothing. And they talk about it in this article, the inner circle is just like, that was the worst drive of my life, you wow. know? just. Seriously, so stressed out, wondering, like, are we going to make it in time? We have no idea what's going on. Yeah. At this time, Yulia, who's Navalny's wife, has convinced the hospital staff to let her move Navalny to a hospital in Germany, Mm. where they had the equipment at their disposal to test for these types of deadly toxins. They have that big mass spectrometry machine. Mm -hmm. The inner circle simultaneously send all the samples they took from the hotel to the same labs in Germany. Okay. With some stroke of luck, one of the items the inner circle swiped from the hotel contained traces of the later confirmed poison of the Novichok on the outside of one of the hotel water bottles that Navalny had touched before drinking. So again, he had just barely touched it. And I don't know exactly how, because they do say if you do touch it, it takes about three hours before you start to show symptoms, which kind of fits with our timeline here, right? Yeah. So this evidence was, of course, key in proving that Navalny was in fact poisoned and didn't have a natural metabolic issue or disease befallen, which is what they were kind of saying in the press. Responding to the interview on Thursday, Mr. Putin's spokesman said there was no evidence that Mr. Navalny had been poisoned with a nerve agent. And said CIA agents were working with the opposition leader. And this was interesting because, again, I cannot believe that we didn't hear about this more in the U.S. But other international leaders spoke on this. French President Emmanuel Macron stated that France was ready to offer all necessary assistance in terms of health care, asylum, protection to Navalny and his family. German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who has a degree in chemistry, also offered any medical assistance necessary in German hospitals because he was in a hospital in Germany. Amnesty International called for an investigation into this alleged poisoning as well. And guys, that is the story of the poisoning of Alexei Navalny. Okay, sorry. Uh, So as Harim was talking just now and how, you know, you make the comment, 
you know, we didn't really hear much about it in the mm-hmm. US, blah, blah, blah. When I heard about it, it yeah. was through Reddit, essentially. Ah, uh, okay, um, okay. You, got, you have, like, there's our world news. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they actually made some pretty good memes out of this at the expense of Navaldi, but yes. there were some memes. I heard about those. Yeah, with, like, Putin sitting with the world leader, and he's, like, offering a cup of tea. And oh, my God. Like, no, thanks. That being said, though, it doesn't surprise me that there wasn't a lot of outward vocalization from our presidency at the top, like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, who our current president is. Yeah, just considering a lot of potential ties there. Completely. (laughs) Um, Because I don't want to just, like, state something based on a bias and, like, my interpretation Mm -hmm. how our Trump administration, how, you know, what its relationship is with the current Russian Putin-ran administration. Yeah. So I am actually Google searching actively, like, did Trump speak on Navalny's thing? And Right. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Essentially to be continued. Yeah, that'd be interesting. That being said, though... Well, one, my mind goes, you know, with COVID, there was this whole thing about now everyone's washing their hands and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And and my brain just kind of like skips around when I think about these things. I also thought about what will ultimately be another episode on another nerve agent, Venomex, which a lot of hand washing comes into play in that story as well. And I just think like, wow, if you're some sort of opposition, a vocal opposition to powerful government, Mm -hmm. I would just, by default, wash your hands every fucking day. I know. Every waking hour of your life, wash your hands. Because this... this that's the moral of the story. That's the moral of the story for this episode yeah. and yeah. the upcoming episode. That is And then so another tie-in. Sorry. Yeah, I just, go for it. I just have to, like, speak. Like, the fact that Putin made a statement that he was involved with CIA operatives, mm-hmm. that's also very similar to... That is so true. I keep referring to this other episode as the other episode. I ultimately will be talking about Kim Jong... Kim... What was the name? Kim Jong Nam. Kim Jong Nam's assassination, yeah. which has a lot. There's so many similar mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. and how he was thought to have been affiliated with the CIA as well. Yeah, that is so true. That's a good connection. And then here comes my conspiracy theorist. Oh shit! Mind, here we go. Which okay, rational brain goes. Maybe that's just like world dictators. Yeah, that's like world, their world dictators go to. Just for like they were affiliated with yeah. the CIA. But then the conspiracy theorist mind goes, maybe they really were affiliated with the yeah. CIA. Like, what is the CIA doing out there? You know, anyway. who freaking knows? Who freaking okay. knows? I'm not trying to lead people astray, but there's so many things we don't know. There's so <laughs> many, honestly, I feel like we only know 0.5% of what the CIA does, to be honest. And not just what they do right now, but all the stuff that they probably know about the world, like aliens. <laughs> Girl, right? Man. They are holding out on us. So I've learned this time around to not state my sources in the beginning because it oh. could be very revealing. Oh, okay, <laughs> so okay. I'm going to go back and state my sources. I got a lot of good sources this time around. So first one is Who is Mr. Navalny by Olga Kostunova. Alexei Navalny has the proof of his poisoning by Masha Gessen by The New Yorker. Novichok Agents, A Historical, Current, and Toxicological Perspective by Peter Chai et al. from the National Library of Medicine. And an article from Science Mag, which I think is the article that my dad took a picture of and sent to me, mm-hmm. by Richard Stone. And Inside Room 239 from the Washington Post by Robin Dixon. So yeah, that is the wild freaking breaking news story yeah. that I just found so damn interesting. You know, it's very rare for someone to be poisoned with such a deadly toxin and live to tell the tale. Right. I, that's, okay, that's what was the last thing that was on my mind, and I thought of it earlier, but, like, I wanted to keep listening, Mm -hmm. and I'm just like, what are the odds? (laughs) Like, like, what are the odds that I, they, I, whoever is the assassination team? Yes. They must be like, they're fired. damn it. They're freaking fired now. I know. Like, what (laughs) happened to them? You know, you know they were, like, reprimanded in some way, Dude, they they were definitely given a dose of their own poison. (laughs) Because that's a botched, that's a botched job. And to think about all the planning that we know goes Dude, into this yeah. to probably set up that powder weeks in it or days in advance on a water mm-hmm. bottle to maybe even utilize third parties like yes. the, the cleaning people. I was literally wrong. Like cleaning like, people oh my God. in the hotel to somehow put that there and all that. Like okay, <laughs> I'm not trying to be a sympathizer of assassins, essentially, yeah, yeah. but I'm like, man, all that hard work. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> all this work and you know your your target did not die and Mm -hmm. then that's when I get very philosophical and I'm like it was meant to be 
Like, this was supposed to happen, and Navalny was supposed to live. Yeah, he lives another day. Like, I kind of love that story. He comes out on top as a hero. Like, he's even more of a presence. He's even more relevant now than ever. So the fact that he survived, which after everything you've told me, it does shock me. I'm like, wow, he really survived. My question is, so once he landed and was transported to the German hospital, Mm -hmm. which I would like to know, like, what is that timeline? What are the hours? Because if we know the nerve agent, if it's tactile, if the nerve Mm -hmm. agent is touched Mm -hmm. and it goes into effect within three hours... And he started feeling it within an hour and 45 minutes. So he's only got uh, two to three more hours, essentially, to live and get some sort of anecdotal help. Mm -hmm. So I guess I just was wondering more about that part of the story. Like, once he goes to the first hospital, what are they giving him to help that? And then he eventually goes to Germany, right? I mean, to answer your question, I think... When people see, I hope, I, I hope when people see these types of symptoms, it looks very much like, like cholinergic symptoms. And so you want to give atropine regardless. Yeah. And to be fair, there are a lot of toxins out there. The antidote is atropine. So if someone is presenting with very low heart rate, very low blood pressure, and, and a lot of other like CNS symptoms, mm-hmm. it's probably a toxin. So you can probably give atropine as an antidote and you can just kind of see how that person yeah. reacts to it. So my guess is that that's what they decided to do because they didn't really know what to do. Yeah. And then kind of go from there. And then once they started to feel like, okay, he still has some lingering stuff. Yeah. We got to like bring out the big guns and take him to Germany. That's kind of what my thought process is on the timeline of things. But I I really don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So where is Navalny now? Wait. Okay. So what? uh... He's in Moscow. He's like hanging out. Oh, God. <laughs> like when he, so he gave a lot of the information I got today about how he was poisoned obviously came directly from his own words in an interview, I believe, with the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. And the person that was writing the article describes him. He's like, he is looking a little weak. He definitely has lost some weight. He looks a little sunken, but he looks healthy. Like he's yeah. strong. He still has a lot of vitality and a lot of energy. Yeah. He's like very animated talking to me through this Zoom screen. And his aide, the one that was on the plane with him, is sitting there in the back like normal business per usual type of thing and he's adamant about getting this message across about what has happened to him and saying this is what they did they they would rather have a silence than us expose them for what they are i mean this is me contemplating and postulating completely but you know Uh i mean i just i just feel like the moral of the story is very like yes navalny is the main character here Mm -hmm. but you have got to hand it to his inner circle mm. his yeah. wife and his aide for acting so fast yeah and really pushing for him to be moved pushing for these things to be done for getting even a toxin screen out there you know they were acting on his behalf when he could not act for himself so i thought that was just very commendable yeah that is such an interesting life to live and i'm speaking about the wife mm-hmm. the aide the inner right. circle That's an interesting life to live where you know your friend's line of work is so potentially dangerous that in almost, almost in a way, like they were prepared. Like, yeah, yeah, they just like, okay, this is, looks like the signs of a poisoning. So these are the steps. Right. Well, that's kind of how any leader is like. Like, that's probably everyone who's close to the president of the United States is like all the time. Like, it's such a high pressure job. You have to be prepared for anything at any time. But I mean, just to slightly go back to what you were saying earlier, it didn't really dawn on me until you said that, like, Mm -hmm. they probably involved third parties. But it's insane. Like, they probably had to pay off these people or they like put in their own agent to pose as the cleaning maid or something to like, okay, so what they obviously don't know. But what I'm thinking about and I'm curious about is how they even were able to dust a little bit on that Mm -hmm. water bottle without it like getting on themselves or, you know, I uh, honestly, I don't even feel like wearing gloves is enough just considering how toxic it is. And the fact that it's a powder, you could easily inhale that too. So how the hell did they even achieve that? I don't know. It just seems like very perfectly and precisely done where they wanted him. I don't know what they wanted, to be honest, but some people say in some of the articles that I read, some people postulate that they wanted him, the original goal was for him to die in the hotel room mm. and like for him to not even go on his flight. And it would look like an accidental overdose or something right. where he just like died in his bed, in his sleep or something yeah. like that. And it just happened to be that he went on the flight. That's if they wanted him to die in the hotel room. But if they didn't, they kind of timed it perfectly in my eyes, where it's like, 
it just seemed like he was going about his daily tasks and then this happened out of nowhere you know because yeah. how can you poison someone on the plane like that would right. require too much maneuvering I, right. I, I think absolutely so it just kind of flew under the radar yeah <sighs> i okay i do very much enjoy these like weird kind of espionage yeah stories, this is so espionage even though it's very much real and mm-hmm. someone's life almost ended right someone who in my biased opinion is doing very good work i yeah. think yeah right so yeah very very interesting yeah that is that is the story if you guys have any comments or questions or all, your own insights or opinions you can always email us at that that poison at gmail.com but that is a wrap I, I was going to say, I so now that I'm doing the points of control rotation, I wanted to do a little like toxicology corner at the end uh-huh. before we do antidotes. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be a really, really quick one, but this is what I found very interesting. So we talked about today, actually, there's a toad called the Bufo toad. Hmm. And there was a case that this is freaking real life, man. People do some weird shit. There was a kid, I think he was like 18 years old, 17 or 18 years old. He captures this toad. Yes. Okay. So Megan just did a licking motion (laughs) right now. And she's absolutely right. So he goes like an extra step worse. He gets this toad. He boils it live or whatever. He basically tries to cook the toad in an attempt to bring out the toxins inside of it. So the Bufo toad has two naturally occurring toxins. One of them we won't really get into. It's like a cardiac liposide. Other one is called bufotenin, which is a hallucinogenic. Mm. So some people like it for that reason. Mm. And some people, like what Megan just motioned, will like lick the toad or like, you know, do weird shit to that. So he was basically thought that he would get more out of the toad if he like boiled it. I don't understand what happened (laughs) after that. (laughs) Anyways, so the attending today was talking about how allegedly the whole story of the princess and the frog came out of that even though it's not a frog it's a toad but it seemed like there was a princess who may have licked or kissed or some way like came into physical contact with this toad and was hallucinating and imagined the toad turning into a prince no way (laughs) and that is my toxicology corner (laughs) i love that of course yeah but you're like that is not happening no 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 no. like uh Okay, like, I will say I believe it, but part of me is like, that's too convenient. I know, I know. Is there really a lot of science behind this fairy tale story? (laughs) So I will be going and fact-checking this later. Yes, please do. I'm really into it. Like, if this is legitimate, I'm like, that's dope. Yeah. Yeah, when she told me that, I was like, that is freaking cool if that's true. Yeah. So let's do our antidotes. Megan, go for it. (laughs) Gosh, antidote. Uh... Bitch, your antidote is that your birthday is next week. Oh, that's a good one. I'll just oh my god! <laughs> I'll just okay. Real talk. The antidote was probably going to be me diving into Phil Collins's. Oh music yeah, that could also soundtrack. be it. I was telling Brady earlier that uh, I have decided to re-listen to the Tarzan. This is the Disney ninety-eight or something mm-hmm. with Phil Collins as the so- featured artist on the soundtrack. And it's great. And I think everyone who knows that soundtrack mm-hmm. and those songs know that it's good, but I just feel like it's just not as hyped as like other old Disney film songs. I agree. Um, so yeah, just so much appreciation to Phil Collins there. <laughs> Trying to bring it, bring it back for everybody. Yeah, bring it back. I love um, it. And then the other antidote part is, yes, my birthday is in a week, actually landing on Thanksgiving. Awesome. Um, and I always make this joke. Anytime my birthday lands on Thanksgiving, because mm-hmm. it's rotational, right? right? It's not always on Thanksgiving. But I always make a joke. If it lands on Thanksgiving, put the cake inside the turkey. <laughs> I love my... it. I love it. I love it. I don't think it'll ever happen, but... That's hey, okay. you never know. This year's the year. One day. And if you're comfortable, how old are you? How young are you turning, Megan? I'm turning 26. Oh! Yeah. 26 on the 26th. So... It's your golden birthday. Is that what that is? That's yeah. Cool. Wait, that's dope. Mm-hmm. But, shit, we gotta do something. <laughs> all right, we'll keep you all updated on hey, what hey. we end up doing. So. Hey, you guys, for Megan's birthday, please rate and review. <laughs> please rate <laughs> and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. And subscribe, because we love doing this. Yes. And we love hanging out with you guys. We do. All right. I love that Megan's birthday falls, like, around Thanksgiving time, but a lot to give thanks for for our beautiful friend, Megan. But... My antidote is not that. (laughs) Uh, My antidote, my antidote is if you guys like great British bake-off, 
You guys are going to go freaking nuts for this other show. Think of Great British Bake Off, but with pottery. It's called The Great Pottery Throwdown. And it's, I know, it's on HBO. And I know a lot of people (laughs) don't have or subscribe to HBO. But if you do have HBO, definitely give it a look-see because it is very good. And for my actual antidote... Every year we get together with my family for Thanksgiving and Christmas, but this year we've not been able to be with everybody during Thanksgiving because of COVID and just like work stuff and things like that. But for Christmas, everyone is driving down to San Diego and I am so excited because that's always a good time. It's like my favorite memories is all of us together in one house and I'm really looking forward to that. Aww. Yeah. I'm happy for you. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> it's going to so be sweet. good. It's going to be Eli. Eli's our, our dog. I say family dog, but it's really just my brother and Swayth's yeah. dog. But it's going to be his first Christmas in our house and with our family. So I'm so excited. Yeah. Eli is, even though he's a dog, Harini is, is the auntie. Oh, I am Eli's his auntie. nephew. Really, 100%. I I spoil that kid so much. Anyways, okay, thanks, guys. (laughs) Yeah, I hope it was interesting, you guys. So that's our breaking news episode, and we will resume our regular content with episode five, which is Megan's story. So thanks for listening, guys, and we will see you back next week. Are you going to do a sign-off? Don't risk it. Oh, yes. Well, how could I forget? Shit. Until next time, don't risk it for that (laughs) biscuit. Which is biscuit in Russian. Because that shit is laced with nubachuk. All right. Goodbye. Okay. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)